Good morning. Pastor Rob, good to be with you here this morning on this beautiful first Sunday in August. I'm beginning a series uh, this morning on the important role that other people play in your spiritual growth. That's what that video is trying in a funny way to say. What I want to say today and over the next uh, five weeks is that following Jesus is a group effort, right? And my question I just want to sort of start with you to think about today and over the next several weeks is, are there people in your life today who know you uh, well enough to know what you need from God, right? That's different at different times in your life. Who know you, who know what you need from, most need from your relationship with God, and who are willing to do whatever they can do to help you get it, right? That's what I want to talk about over these next several weeks in a series called Better Together. So, as Pete mentioned, I want you to, all of us to do something. There's this tear-off in your bullet, and go ahead and take it. We're going to take just a minute, literally 60 seconds to do this. If you go ahead and tear this off, and on one side it says survey. We want to plan for the fall, right? That's what we're doing. Fall will be here before you know it, and we want to do everything we can not to twist your arm or to um, shoehorn you into something, but to encourage you to get involved in a community of one size or another with people who are helping you grow in your walk with Christ. Okay, we call that small groups here. It is a core value uh, for us as a church, and we want you to be a part of one. Now, all we're doing in this brief survey, we're not going to hound you. We're not going to uh, you know, go come after you. We're trying to understand where we are as a church. So if you'll just take a minute, there's pens, I think, around the floor. Those of you who don't have one, uh, there are four simple questions, name, email, phone, and then just tick off one of these four questions, all right? Are you currently in a small group? If you are, like me, I'm going to check the first one I am, and I'm committing to my group um, in the, for the coming program year. Do I want to be interested in this off-campus uh, group? That is to say, uh, I'm interested, I'm not in a small group, in a home group, I'd like to be in one. I'm interested in participating in an on-campus group. What is that, Pastor? Well, we have Married Life meets every Sunday. There are women's ministry every Monday night. Men's ministry we meet uh, beginning in the fall on Thursday mornings. If there are groups that meet here, okay, you're interested. I'm interested in finding a mentor, right? We have opportunities for both men and women. We'll get back to you with some information about it. And there's also one that says, I'm not ready to join a small group. Okay, it's okay. We just want to know, want to get a sense of where we are as a church. So if you'll fill this out, if you don't have a pen or you're more you know, tech savvy, you can text group to that number on the screen. We just want to get a baseline. Now, when you're done, some of you already are, just simply pass it to your left or right. Maybe you can split here in the main aisle and the ushers are going to come right now and just pick these up from you. Just dump them. So just pass them to your left, pass them to your left. Uh, you guys can perhaps split them, and our ushers will just pick them up, and we'll be done. Thank you very much for helping us this morning. Better together. That's what we're talking about here this morning. And this first message that I have this morning is titled, We, right, is, let me get the title here, We is the Fix for Me. And a passage of scripture I want to look at is our text for this morning is Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. 
6. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Follow along with me or in your Bible, on your phone. Let's read this together. Follow along as I read. Luke 5, 17 through 26. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on a roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were there, it said, from every town and every village, began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, the focus of this passage is on Jesus healing this man. No question about it, right? Jesus healing this paralyzed man, it's an important passage. It's actually in all three or three of the four Gospels that tells us that it's important. And it's in response, no surprise to us, to the faith, right? He mentions that in verse 20. It's the same way you and I get what we need from God very often is exercising trust, exercising reliance in Him. But it's interesting and I think significant that this man who gets healed, nothing is ever said about his faith, right? And he never speaks a word in this whole passage. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't have faith because the passage says, it's kind of a sobering truth in verse 22, that Jesus knows what people are thinking, right? He says to these religious leaders who are skeptical after they have this little debate, and he says, listen, why are you thinking this? Because I've read your thoughts and he gets back to them. So uh, when I look at this passage, I don't think we're supposed to believe that this man had no faith, didn't care. He was just a, a passive bystander. I don't think that's the case. My assumption is that he too had faith in Jesus, right? But the passage, Luke makes a point, verse 20, to want you to know that Jesus does what he does in response to the faith of his friends. When Jesus saw their faith, the guys who climbed up the roof and led him in the hole, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Let that settle on all of us in this room just for a minute, right? Those of us, all of us self-motivated, self-directed, do-it-yourselfers, of which many of us are in this room. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of things in life that you can, and we're so good at that, you know, I mean, I mean, just us in this room, but, you know, us sort of enlightened Westerners and here, uh, Americans, there's a lot of things that you can do. 
right? You can do well in your job. You can manage your job. You can manage your money. You can manage your house. You can manage your health, right? You can do a lot of those things on your own, but following Jesus Christ, right? Really getting the most out of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus, you cannot do that, right? That's what this passage is telling us. My first point, maybe of this whole series. We need others to help us get what we most need from God. I think that's why this passage is here. I think it's why it's in all three Gospels, because Jesus wants to make a point, right? And how, how relevant, how significant to an over-individualized, you know, over-curated, you know, I can do everything, run my life on my own kind of culture like ours, for Jesus to say, listen, if your interest, I don't know if this is your interest, Right? You got up and came to church today anyway. Right? I don't know everybody's heart, but that you, you don't want to just check a box. You want your faith to matter. You want to get the most out of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The promises of peace and power and, and God's you know, purposes being realized in your life. None of us would say we're there. You want to get better at being a follower of Jesus. If you really want to do that, and if we believe what the Bible has to say, you need others to help you get what you most need from God. And my whole passage, my whole question, I should say, in this series is, do you have other people in your life, right? Do I have other people in my life that can help me get what I most need from God? I don't think it's a mistake that this story, that the guy who's healed in this passage is paralyzed, okay? There's a lot of ways to be sick. There's a lot of ways, there's a lot of different kinds of people that are healed in the New Testament. But this story, which happens in all three of the Gospels, it was important enough to be in there. It says that this guy was paralyzed, right? That's the, 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 the word, that's the problem that he has. And I think it was done, I think, you know, in God's providence to know that that word carries a lot of weight uh, even in, in a cross culture, even in our day. Last Sunday... Uh, the 20, whatever that was, 29th, the last day of, of July, last Sunday in July, I was sitting right over here in the middle of the second service. Someone came up, one of the ushers, and handed me a bulletin. Or I mean, oh no, it was an offering envelope. And on the offering envelope, it had the name of somebody. It said, so-and-so is in the last row. So inter- I didn't even know why this was given to me. The name on that uh, uh, bulletin or on that offering envelope was a, young, a guy that I have known since I was a, um, you know, uh, a, an elementary school kid. We played sports together. We played pre-high school football together. We, even, we, we played football together as kids. We played against each other in high school. We were friends. Not long after high school, as often happens, we went our separate ways. And years later, he was diagnosed um, with a debilitating disease. And just a couple years ago, less than two, I caught up with him, spent a little time with him. And when I saw him, both a couple years ago and on this last Sunday, he is totally paralyzed, okay, at this stage in his life. The only thing that he can move is his neck and his head and his mouth. He can't move his arms, he can't move his legs, he has no control of his whole body from his neck um, down. Well, now, he's physically paralyzed totally but the word paralyzed okay if you look it up in the dictionary says this what it means to be paralyzed he's physically paralyzed is to be wholly in 
capable of movement. That's what it means, right? Now, we're smart enough to know that you and I, your problem might not be that you're physically paralyzed, but there's a lot of ways to be paralyzed, right? I think when we think about this idea of wholly incapable of movement in some area in your life, this description fits a lot of us. There are a lot of people, maybe a majority of us in this room, who are stuck, perhaps not in a wheelchair, but in our fears, right? In our self-defeating behaviors, in our pride, in our insecurity, in our bitterness, or simply in the belief that you've gone too far in your life, too far in your thinking, too far in your bad behavior to get back on track, right? In that sense, I think a majority of us are paralyzed. Verse 19, when they could not find a way, right? Forget the paralyzed man trying to reach Jesus. Even his friends get to the gathering like this one. Jesus is in the middle of this place with his disciples and there's no access. There's no more room. When they could not find a way, right? How many of us, ask yourself this question, right? Where do you feel paralyzed in your life? What does that mean, pastor? Where do you feel you are wholly incapable of making movement in your life, right? Where? In your heart. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe your marriage is, is, isn't, is all over, but, you know, the obvious uh, separating together. Maybe you're over in some area of, of, of a relationship that you're in that you just can't seem to move forward. Maybe you feel like you've gone as far as you can go with God. What area do you feel like you are incapable of movement that you've given up on that in a manner of speaking, right, you feel like you are in a hole that's so deep, right, you'll never get out of it. And you're out of ideas and you're out of strategies. Things will never get better. You'll never get out of that hole. You're out of ideas. You're never going to get the job that you thought you were going to get. You may never have a family. You're never going to be as close to God as some of the other people around you that you think are. What does this passage say? We need people, right? When they could not find a way, right? Together, they found a way to get this man to Jesus. People, you need people in your life. I need people in my life who know, not only know me, right? Not just casually, not superficially know what I do, what kind of car I drive, what kind of food that I like, but that know me, that know where I'm stuck, know where I'm incapable of movement, and they know Jesus well enough to say, I think he can help you, and I want to help you find a way to get to him, right? Now, what am I talking about? We talk about small groups. You may, that's not an unfamiliar concept. I'm not simply talking about people who might need to give you money when you're, you and your family are had hard times. I'm not simply talking about people who can provide childcare so you and your, you and your husband or you and your wife can get a little uh, uh, time together. I'm not simply talking about people who can become, help you be accountable in commitments that you might need to make. Uh, those things are important, but I'm talking about something more than that. I'm talking about people who can not only see the visible in your life, right? If, if I'm really hard, if, there are certain things about me, if you're close enough to me, that would be obvious, right? If I'm hard, if I'm having a hard time physically, if I'm having a hard time financially, 
If my marriage is really in trouble, those things are going to be obvious to you, but you need people in your life. I need people in my life who can see not just the visible things, they can see deeper into the invisible things. People who have a level of spiritual discernment who know that in some area of my life, right, I'm paralyzed, right? And they know that I'm paralyzed and they can help me get to Jesus. Now listen, even Jesus, right, had this challenge in his life. So we don't think of that. We think Jesus was just this, you know, we can be nothing like him. He was this, you know, pristine, perfect, always said the right thing, always had the right answer, never sweated, kind of, but that's not who Jesus was. Jesus did not just come to die on a cross for us to atone for our sin. If that was the case, he wouldn't need to be live 33 years. He could have done that in one day. He didn't just show us what it means to be saved in his death. He showed us how to live. Luke or Mark chapter 3, right? Jesus understood this principle. Then Jesus' mother and brothers, Jesus was in a house, much smaller than this, hanging out and teaching with his disciples. Then Jesus' mother and brothers, that is his real ones, right? Mary and, and, and James and Jude and the others. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. The crowd was sitting around him and they told him, hey, your mother, your brothers are outside looking for you, right? Jesus was a real guy with a zip coat, right? He's up in Galilee. Who are my mother and who are my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, right? His disciples and these others. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. Now, if, 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 if you are a mother in this room, looking at Kathy Seifer, she, you know, I don't think she'd like to hear that answer or any other mother in this room to some, you know, your mother's outside waiting for you, you know, and you're in there with your friends and, well, this is my mother, you know. In other words, tell her to go away, okay? Now, was Jesus saying that? I know that Jesus was not dismissing his family, you know, willy-nilly because the scriptures show that that's not the case later. Jesus maintained a loving relationship with his family. Jesus was not throwing his family under the bus. Jesus was making a point, right? What does he say at the end of that passage? He said, listen, he said, when it comes to accomplishing God's will for my life, when it comes to getting the most out of what I think it means to be a follower of Jesus, I mean, raise your hand and your heart in this room if all the peace that you need, right? I mean, the peace that the Bible promises that you have it all. If, if, if you have all the power that the Bible says that you should have as a person, as a husband, as a wife, as a man, as a student, if you have all the power that the Bible says you ought to have in your life over habits and, and bad habits, raise your hand in your heart, right? If you have all the purpose, if you, feel, if you woke up today and said, listen, I know exactly what I should be doing. My gifts and skills are lined up in perfect alignment. I don't have to think. I don't sweat. I'm never bored. Raise your hand in your heart. But I know that's not true of anybody in this room, right? We all have needs from God. And, what, and Jesus is saying, listen, when it comes to accomplishing what I most need from God, he said, listen, these people who, are, who know and do God's will, verse 35 in that passage, this is in a manner of speaking. My mother, my brothers, my sisters, these are the people that are closest in my life because they can help me get what I most need from God. That's what I'm talking about. If it's true for Jesus, it's true for you. And my question this whole month is, do you have those 
people in your life, right? If that means they know and do the will of God, they're not going to be, you know, people say this to me all the time and I get it. Oh, Rob, you know what? My neighbors aren't Christians and they're more Christian than, than half the people in the church. And the guy I work for, and he's nicer than you are. And, and, you know, this guy's not a Christian, but he knows the Bible better than, than and you know what? I get all that, right? I, have, I live in a neighborhood just like you do. But those people, however good and however meaningful, if they don't know Christ in a living way, as Pete said, right? In other words, their hearts have not been transformed by the love of God. If their eyes have not been opened to the scriptures, how could they ever help you accomplish what you need, what God has called you? They can't do that. You need other people, whether you like them, whether they're like you and politically or philosophically, other people who know God's will, who are committed themselves to doing God's will, and you have given them, in a manner of speaking, permission to help you, to point you, and if necessary, to carry you to Jesus. Do you have those kind of people? We need others to help us get what we most need from God. And second point in this passage, very important passage is this. God does his best work in our lives in community. I think that's what this passage says. God does his best work in our lives in community. Now, this passage is so interesting. I, I mean, it could be a, 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 a series of sermons. But Jesus is, is clearly, like he always does, he's, he's upending expectations. He's probably really frustrating the heck out of his disciples, right? I mean, here's this moment, right? This is a dramatic moment. It's why it's in all three of the Gospels, right? Jesus is in this place. And now Jesus heals other people in the Bible but this is the only passage that I know, if you read carefully, right? One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting. That's the first. Now, they're not the only people that are there, but they're mentioned for an important reason. In other words, they are the, they are the official um, you know, uh, communicators of, to the nation of Israel. Jesus came to the nation of Israel ultimately and through Israel to the world. They were God's people. These were the leaders, right? If you want to get your message out, into to the nation of Israel, these are the people that you want to convince. He came unto his own, John 1, 12. And it says in this passage, I don't know if there's any other place in the whole New Testament, where it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. That's not it. They had come, well, just from, you know, Capernaum. No, from every village in Galilee. Either that's hyperbole or it's unbelievable. Every village in Galilee and from Judea the other mainstay of the Jewish nation at the time, and Jerusalem. What is it? What's another way of saying that verse? All the important people that needed to be in this moment when Jesus is going to do something profound, they are here. This is the, uh, I don't know if this is maybe a, an odd analogy, but this is like the, uh, this is the uh, American Idol, uh, you know, runoff. I never really watched that show, but whatever they call it, right? the American Idol final episode for a preacher-teacher Messiah. This is it. Everyone's tuned in, every friend you know, all the great music executives, this is your moment. And they break this open. Now, Jesus has healed before, right? So this isn't the first time. Down comes this guy on this mat. I mean, this is unbelievable, right? And all these important people are there. And I'm sure his disciples are thinking, this is it. We're done. This is the Super Bowl. Jesus is going to show these guys right now who he is. 
and, they're, and they've already seen him heal before, so they're, they're confident he can do it. And Jesus says, sons, your sins are forgiven. Right? What? That's wonderful, Jesus, but that don't mean anything to a guy who's, who's, who can't get up. I mean, are you serious? And we don't know how long this goes on, right? Now, it, it, we know when the, if you read the whole passage, he ends up getting it all, right? He gets the whole package. But this leads into, and I'm sure it was longer than 30 seconds, a, a, a theological conversation, a debate about theology, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Who is this fellow? Who, who, can you imagine? Talk about an anti-climax. Here's this guy suspended from this open roof, all these people, and Jesus and the religious leaders over this guy are having a theological discussion about the forgiveness of sins. I mean, what a, what a letdown. Right? <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin the end of a movie for you right now, but it's so old that if you haven't seen it, it's okay, okay? But there was a movie made, I remember watching as a kid, true story, of these two famous um, bank robbers in the American West. Uh, one's name was Robert Parker, and the other one was uh, Harry Longbow, otherwise known as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, okay? And they go through, ripping through all the Midwest and robbing banks, and finally they decide they're going to go to Bolivia, Right? They've exhausted the banks in America in the 19th century, early 20th century. And they go to Bolivia, and they're having, they're, it's kind of a buddy comedy, apparently based on a true story. And they get one scrape after another, they get out of it, right? And it's just what's the beauty of the whole story. But finally, they're in the scrape of all scrapes. And they're in this little mission sort of style building in you know, Timbuktu, Bolivia. And they're sort of trapped, right? And outside, because you're watching the movie, there are no uh, exaggeration, a hundred uh, riflemen from, you know, the, the, the police force. I mean, how are you going to get out of this? Who knows? But you're watching this movie thinking, how are they going to pull it out of their hat, right? And then the leader, played by Paul Newman in this movie, he all of a sudden starts to change the subject. And he says, you know what, Butch? or I mean uh, Sundance, he goes, you know what? I've always wanted to go to, to, to Australia, right? And he just gets into this waxing strong about wanting to rob banks in Australia. And the Robert Redford character is like, what are you talking about? You know, this is it, right? This is kind of the moment that I think the disciples of Jesus are having in a manner of speaking. This is it, Jesus. This is your opportunity to show everybody without any doubt who you are, you heal this guy right now and these leaders are going to go back to all of the important places in the precincts of Judaism and people are going to know you are who you are. Now, why is Jesus doing this? Is he just being clever? I don't think Jesus is being clever. I think Jesus is being God, right? Because even they knew this. Who is this fellow who can forgive sins because only God can forgive sins? That's what Jesus wants you to know. That's what Jesus wants me to know. This guy got what he wanted. And let me tell you this. God often gives you, not always, but God often gives me what I want, right? But he always, not always, but he always gives me what I need. And what I need and what you need more than anything is the forgiveness of sins, right? What I'm saying is this. 
And I think this is why this passage is so relevant, even all these years later. Why paralysis is such a great metaphor for our time. We have many people in our, my life, many people in this congregation, that are dealing with our own um, paralysis, our fears, our anxieties, our self-defeating behaviors, our, our um, bitterness. And these are symptoms, okay, of unresolved, untouched guilt and shame in our life. And the only thing that will enable you to get unstuck, the only thing that will enable me to get unstuck is the forgiveness of sins. Nothing else will do it. So Jesus says something very unexpected. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to heal you. I know where this story's going. I'm going to help your marriage out. I'm going to help your finances out. I'm going to help you get that promotion. I'm, I'm in your life and I care about you. But the problem below all problems is the forgiveness of sin. And the only person who's able to get you unstuck, to get me unstuck, is God. And let me say one other quick thing, because this is about community, right? This is about, um, what I said is, God does his greatest work in community. That work is the forgiveness of sins. But see, it doesn't end with God. It begins with God. But some of the reason that people in this room are stuck in various and sundry ways is not because you haven't had God's forgiveness yet, maybe you have, but you haven't received the forgiveness of other people in your life. You're still, your spouse is still living with unfor, is get, dealing with unforgiveness. Your, uh, the, the people in your life are not giving you the forgiveness you need. You're not supplying that to other people. And what this passage tells us is this. I only not only need God's forgiveness in the deepest areas of my life to heal my own paralysis, but I need it to be capable to bring forgiveness to you. Right? Listen to this passage uh, very, very carefully. I'm almost done. For one of my favorite commentators, uh, Dale uh, Bruner, on this passage. Forgiveness of sins and the ability to move are interchangeable. By saying one, Jesus grants the other. Forgiveness of sins is, practically speaking, the engine of Christian motion. To forgive a person is to enable a person to move. The meaning for the church is that when we preach and grant, in Jesus' name, the forgiveness of sins, we are enabling people to move. Nothing is, in fact, more mobilizing than forgiveness. We know this from personal experience. Nothing moves us like the assurance that we are fully pardoned by God. Every Christian community is eager to be alive and on the move. Let the community not forget, in her arsenal of renewal, the simple power of forgiveness of sins, present in the sermon, and in the sacrament, which we're about to do. It is a frequent error of even conservative communities to believe that the message of forgiveness is only for unbelievers. The gospel of forgiveness is also for believers, weekly, daily, too, because believers also contract guilt, and guilt paralyzes. And believers, too, need forgiveness. The way for a church or an individual Christian to move is for there to be a continuing ministry of the stories and supper, supper of Jesus with their gifts of forgiveness received by faith, right? That's what we're talking about. 
God does his greatest work in community. Yes, it begins with my full embrace of the pardon, but I got to come to that well every single day, right? It's for believers also, and it's only as I become more convinced of, the, of God's forgiveness in my life where his forgiveness, his grace, his gospel penetrates deeper into my mind, deeper into my heart, deeper into my ways of behaving, deeper into my ways of thinking that I'm able then humbly to see you clearly, to see what you most need and to offer you not only the forgiveness you might need from me, but to help you receive more of that from God. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to end with this table and it's going to give all of us an opportunity just in this moment, to receive grace and forgiveness in our lives. In other words, to come to this table, if you're a Christian, and say, listen, where do you feel most paralyzed? But let me leave you with this question, right, before we do that. My last point. How far will you go to help someone else be healed, right? That's the question. Because God doesn't want to just heal you and leave you. He wants you to be a healer. Right? He wants you to say, I, well, how far will you go to help someone else get what they need from God? Well, listen, you can't do that if you don't know other people and other people don't know you. And the question just isn't, are you willing to point them to Jesus? Are you willing, if necessary, whatever this might mean, to carry them to Jesus? And are you willing for others, do others know you well enough to help you carry them to Jesus? Um, carry you to God as well.